Amen. Good morning, Summit Church. It is such a privilege to be here and to be able to share the gospel with you this morning. We so appreciate your prayers. This week has been quite a week. It's been a couple of weeks. I uh, want to welcome everyone that's online. Online's an important ministry because I was joining you online last week. So there are people out there that are enjoying that ministry. Uh, we spent the last week with my dad and my mom up in Oregon. And uh, just to cut to the chase, he's uh, had to go into hospice. And the, the end is near. He's 90. But we got to be with him the last four or five days. He was vertical and able to eat meals with us and, and walk around. And so we're so thankful to have been there for that. And we just appreciate your continued prayers. I know there's nothing more than he would want today than for me to be here preaching the gospel to you as a man who served in his church, the Assembly of God in uh, Albany, Oregon, for 50 years. He, uh, he enjoys a good sermon, so hopefully it will be one. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's the first, very first book of the Bible, if you're unfamiliar with that, you can just go right to the first few pages. Coming back to Arizona from Oregon, I might seem like I'm exceptionally thirsty. I think we're back in the dry climate. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled, The Power of One. There's so many times in life we feel like we need so much. We need to acquire so much to be successful. But God shows us that it is really very little that we need in order to be an overcomer in this life, to have the victory. And so let's read this very familiar portion of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said to light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening, the first day. Amen. While this is not a scientific sermon, there will be some scientific elements in it. But we live in a digital culture today. As we were there with my parents, it became obvious that they still read the newspaper. And the newspaper doesn't even come with the newspaper delivery anymore. It comes in the mail, so it's already two days old. And it's only published three days a week. So they're reading every page of the paper, and we're like, yeah, we saw that on our phone like four days ago. <laughs> we live in a digital culture today that is always asking us to back up our data. We typically ignore this request until a year's worth of photos disappears from our phone, and then we become very interested in backups. I've been using the same desktop computer for over 10 years. Every week, it asks me, do you want to create a backup of your operating system? And I always click, nah, ask me later. <laughs> Ten years, nah, ask me later. And, and it's still working, so I don't know, maybe I just get a new one. 
yet I just can't bring myself to click don't ask again. Because I know there's an importance to a backup. We can appreciate that backups are a good idea. My keen engineering mind asks, uh, why wouldn't God just give us two hearts? One that just waits till the other one stops and then it kicks in and you got a whole nother life. Why wouldn't he do that? We have two eyes. There's a backup system. We have two ears. There's a backup system. We have two hands. There's a backup system. Yet we only have one mouth. God's like, nah. I don't think so. You've said enough. Wouldn't it be great if cars had a little extra engine in them, just enough to get you home if the main one failed? I've just killed the towing industry. But they don't make them like that. And so when we think of all the places that a backup system is needed, it boggles the mind that our creator, the God of the Bible, decided in that so many situations no backup was necessary, and he called it good. There is but one son. That's S-U-N, the big ball in the sky. The one thing that every person on earth shares is the sun. The same sun that shines on us this morning was shining on everyone else on earth in the last 24 hours. It happens every day, but it's amazing to think about Asia, Africa, North America, South America, Antarctica, Europe, and Australia. All the continents see the same sun that we see. In the morning, the birds cry out for the sunlight at the first crack of dawn. The flowers open and turn towards the light. The world wakes from its sleep with the sun. If the earth were any farther from the sun, it would be filled with ice. If it was any closer, it would be too hot for us to live here. Since creation, there has only been one sun. There was not two and one burned out, and yet we still have this one left. Imagine buying one light bulb for your house, and it goes out, and your spouse is like, where do you keep the light bulbs? I only bought one. I didn't think we needed another one. They said this, this uh, LED would last 100 years. Has anybody experienced that yet? No. Everyone I've tried has quit working. The sun we have is not a replacement for a previous one. God saw fit in his creation to give us one sun. The sun supports all life on earth, causes plants and trees to grow, gives heat and light to humans, causes the food that we eat to grow. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens. We know that there are amazing stars and planets out there, but for our solar system, God created one sun. There is no backup, and he called it good. There is also one earth. Once again, the Bible says that God created the heavens and what? The earth. Not the earths. Not many earths. He created the heavens, which are a category, and the earth, which is a category with one thing in it the earth that we're on today. There's no other planet like earth, not even close. Earth is the only planet that is able to sustain human life. 
When NASA went to the moon, the only means of survival in that harsh conditions was a spacesuit and oxygen, and only for a very short time. Everyone knows the famous words of Neil Armstrong, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And I said it right. He misquoted it. He was probably under a little stress after having just landed on the moon. So he said one small step for man. It was supposed to be one small step for a man. But I was much more impressed with lunar module pilot Buzz Aldrin's words when he called the moon magnificent desolation. Magnificent desolation. It's nothing like earth. It's nothing like we know. It's nothing that is uh, uh, habitable. It's nothing that's welcoming to a human. It's magnificent desolation. We know that the earth is special because God had to make a place for mankind and all the animals to live and breathe. If God had not meant to make man the way he did, why would he have needed to make this amazing planet? See, we couldn't live for very long in space. In space, because of the lack of gravity, our muscles deteriorate. And after a while, we would just have the consistency of a rubber chicken because there's nothing to work against to keep our muscles strong. And most important, the lack of oxygen makes life on other planets nearly impossible. Maybe one day. When God made the earth, he only made one earth. There is no backup. If we ruin this one, there's not another one we can move to. And what the Bible says about the heavens and the earth is true, proven out over decades of exploration. I've seen all the same documentaries you've seen. I've read all the same books. And I haven't seen any other planet that has Disneyland or doctor's offices or skyscrapers or anything that resembles any kind of life. You think about the billions that are spent to find intelligent life on other planets. And yet, I would like to spend at least half that to find intelligent life here. Oh, boy, this Arizona is dry. The arid zone, that's why they call it that. Let's move on. Think about this. There is one God. So if we have lived all this time in our life on one planet, one earth, and that one earth is warmed and lit by one sun, and the Bible tells us this, then we can believe that the Bible, when, he, when it tells us there is but one God, and that is the Lord. The God that is the Lord created many and powerful and amazing things, but our God was not created. He has always been. Jesus said while he was here on earth, before Abraham was, I am. Phonetically, that's a terrible sentence. But they wanted to kill him for it. It was such a, 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 a radical statement at the time. Before Abraham was, I am. I just am. I didn't start. I'm not going to end. I just am. 2 Kings 17 and verse 7 says, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. 
other gods. Who are they? <laughs> There's one. We trust in the things that we see. We want to believe in the sun. We want to believe in the moon. We want to believe in the stars. We want the earth to be our mother. But we need to believe in the one that we cannot see. The one who created all of these things. Psalms 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows his handiwork. How many of you have ever said, I, I just want to see God? Yeah, if I could just see him one time, I would believe. Then I could get on board. But let me ask you this. Do you want to see a beautiful painting? Or do you want to see the picture of the painter? Do you want to see a lovely selection of photographs? Or do you want to see a picture of the photographer? Do you want to see a sculpture? Or do you want to see the sculptor? Imagine you, you pay money to go into this big museum and, oh, now we're going to see some huge picture of a guy with a camera. Hi. A guy with a chisel. guy with a paintbrush. Well, where are the paintings? I want to see the results. I want to see the statue. I want to see the photographs. Oh, no, we're showing you the creators. Well... <laughs> I'm out of here. And so when we think, I want to see God, look around. The heavens declare his handiwork. I just drove for three days from Oregon to get back here to you. The beautiful evergreen forests of Oregon and Northern California, the rolling golden hills of California, the kind of cool cactus and flat stuff of Arizona. You know, it all has its beauty. The big clouds, the sunsets. You don't have to look far to see God. Do you really need to see God, or are you okay with his handiwork? Exodus 20 and verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. It's like God bringing us out of sin. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. God does not need a backup. <laughs> we don't need to create replacement gods in case the living God does not work out. He's eternal. Not only is there one God, there is one Son, one Savior. That's S-O-N. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's look at the difference between the whatever generation and the whoever generation. Who gets a burger? Whatever. Who gets a cheeseburger? Whoever. That's everybody. <laughs> Big difference. 
So not only does this verse echo Genesis, God so loved what? The. God so loved all of his worlds. God so loved the world that he gave his only one son, begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever is a very personal term. It matter, what it says is no matter who you are, you cannot remove yourself from this verse. It says whoever. It doesn't say whoever, whatever. It says whoever. If you believe, you will have eternal life. Nobody is exempt. You can't say, well, from my upbringing, from the religion I was raised in, from the, the way that I am, I just can't change. You cannot remove yourself from John 3.16. It says, whoever believes in him should not perish. This is as good as your name being written into the Bible. And that one Savior, Jesus, is all you and I need to be forgiven. It's all you and I need to be overcomers in this life. It's all you and I need to be with him for eternity. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That no one is the same as whoever. You can't remove yourself from that one either. No one. No one except for these people. No one except for you. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, I have my own beliefs. I have my own way. Can't erase yourself out of there. Why are there 5,600 recognized religions in the world? It's because 5,599 people didn't like that verse. And they wanted to figure something else out. The one wasn't enough. The one bridge wasn't enough to the Father. They had to try to build another one, impossible. Many religions are circular, a repeating life. Well, try again, <laughs> try again, try again. Oh, sorry, little buddy, try again. So what that does is it kind of says it doesn't really matter what you do because you're coming back for another try. But the gospel tells us that it absolutely matters what we do now as we have one life, one death, and then the judgment. Who was paying attention in the 16 fundamental truths? You're going to know all about that. Jesus did not say, I am one of many ways. Pick me or not. He said, I am the way. Every other religion is a hanger-on, a want-to-be, a derivative of the truth that is Jesus Christ. They take just enough biblical truth to make it sound okay, and then they add something weird in there. Some hook that says, uh, oh, you don't need Jesus. If you want to know where people stand, just cut right to the chase. Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that'll show exactly where their heart is. See, when you know Christ, he will be enough. James wrote that the demons believe and tremble. It's a convicting verse. Do the demons believe more than I do? I hope not. 
Our belief is based in awe and wonder, and he gives us purpose and rest. See, in Christ, we stop striving for the fleeting rewards of this world, and in turn, we seek, we knock, and we ask for God to fill our lives with his presence and his truth. Finally, one more. Can you guess what it's going to be? There is one you. So if God made the sun, one sun and one earth, he is able to make just one you. You are unique and special creation of God. Made for a purpose, made on purpose. There's no one like you. I was thinking about you. Saji with your twin sister. I can tell you right now, if you ask Saji after service, are you two exactly the same or are there differences? Oh, there's differences. I haven't even talked to her about this. I'm probably embarrassing her right now, but she would say there's big differences. We're twins. But even in that, you are the only you. And since you're so special, God has given you something powerful. God has given you the power to choose to love him or not. It's called free will. And it's something we would never give out on our own. How many, you might have said, I wish I could see God. How many of you have ever said, if I was God, I'd do things differently. (laughs) I wouldn't let this happen. I wouldn't have let that. If I was God, this is what I would do. But we would never give our own creations free will, right? No. You have pets. You love them like they're people. You like them better than you like people. If it was you had a choice, you'd probably pick the dog. But you'll never give that dog free will. You know what? We love the puppy, but just open the door. He knows we love him. Let's let him choose us. Free will. Oh, my dog loves me. Open the door. Not unlike us, right? They have everything they need. They get scratched on the belly every day. They get delicious food. Open the door. Perky parakeet, be like God. Give that bird free will. I guarantee you, it'll be gone in the morning. The other day, I'm driving down the road, and I see these two dogs running toward me on the sidewalk, and they are so happy. I mean, the looks on their faces made me laugh out loud, which you know is rare. They're like... And I thought, if I could be that happy for five minutes of my life, that would be enough. But you know no good is going to come from this. Right? They're experiencing free free will is amazing for a moment. (laughs) 
But then, you know, a car comes along, or Mr. Coyote, or I don't know, whatever. Free will isn't always that healthy for us. And so God gives us this generous gift of free will. Maybe it's almost misplaced trust that we will choose him, but he has given you this power of one choice. To serve the living and true God or to serve a false or a lesser God of one of your own making. There is only one God that is worthy of our life, the one who gave his life. The cross, the blood. He sent his only son. God opened the door and gave us free will and we ran as far and as fast as we could. And yet he still loved us. He didn't say, wow, that's too bad. I'll just make some more people. He sent his only son to go and get us. And the only way that could be done was his son would die in our place to pay the price. See, while the church is social, we each have our own unique relationship with God that has its own story. And as believers, we need to seek out these one-on-one intersections with God. Will you choose God today with me? Will you set aside every other God? Will you set aside everything that raises itself above the importance of the living God? Let's have our amazing worship team come back. They're going to play. How are things between just you and God today? Speaking to believers. Are you holding the torch for God? Are you keeping him first? Are you seeking out those intersections with God, those God moments? Somebody told me something years and years ago that's always stuck with me. They said, you know, there's a lot more of you in this than you think. And I didn't even really understand it then until years later. And we have the mentality, well, if God knows where I am. If he wants me, he can come and get me. If God wants something, he'll have to appear to me in a tortilla. I don't know. God just is going to do stuff, and then I'm going to just be here and react. No, we ask. We seek. We pray. We knock. We press in. We pray till we can't pray anymore. We believe until we believe to the max that we can't believe anymore. And God comes through as we seek him those God moments. Yeah, I came to church. That's awesome. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy you're online. I'm so happy we're all here. We intersect to each other's lives. We encourage each other. But what about you and God? Has those paths passed in a meaningful way in the last day, month, week, year, decade? Well, I'm just serving. I'm just doing this. Seek. Knock. Press in. Has there ever been a time of prayer where God picked you up out of the place of despair and gave you hope? Just you and God. Have you ever cried out for healing of a loved one or yourself and seen him answer? Has there been a time when something just worked out financially in which there was no earthly way that it could ever work out financially? Intersections with God. Have you ever seen the glory of God declared in the heavens? Have you ever called out to him and not received the answer you wanted, yet you knew he was still in it 
and that he still loves you. That's a God moment. Has he ever woken you up in the middle of the night to pray? And you got up and prayed. Have you ever heard him call you to a ministry or a place of service? Has there been a time when his presence was so real that you had to pull your car over just so you could weep at the song that was playing on the radio? Seek those individual moments out in your prayers, in your Bible, in your choice of listening, in the direction of that compass inside of you. That's for those of you that believe today. It's never stop pressing in to one God. The greatest God moment ever is the moment that you put your trust in Jesus for the first time. If we could bow our heads together just for a moment, just to have a moment of reflection, not moving around or looking around. The Bible asks us to come humbly to Christ, acknowledging that Jesus is the only way, the only hope, the only real answer to our loneliness, our brokenness, our broken hearts and our emptiness. It's when we empty ourselves of all the false hopes of this world that we can make room for the real hope, Jesus, to come in. You're here in this room this morning or you're online. Your head is bowed. You've heard these words. There's something in your heart that says, you know, I've been looking everywhere but Jesus. I've been trying to make my own hope and my own answers, my own little gods. But today I empty myself of that and I make room for Jesus. Let's pray together. Anyone at all can pray along with me. I want to hear you repeat these words and God will help you. This is just not a magical prayer, but it's just a words to get started in a conversation with God. Heavenly Father, I never knew I was so special. You made me unique, different from every other person on earth. You have a plan. You have a purpose for my life. Yet today, I'm doing my own thing. I'm going my own way. I'm following my own plan. And it has been a fool's errand. There is no peace. There is no rest. Only striving. I need real answers today. So Jesus, would you forgive me of my wandering, my rebellion, my sin? You died for my sins and rose from the dead. Come into my life now and bring your peace. I want to continue this journey in life with you. Amen.